Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Lines Led by Donkeys Podcast. I am Joe, and with me today is local Chechnya expert, Nick. Huh? What's up, man? <laughs> yeah, I'll take the title. Fuck it. What, like, what do you know about Chechnya or Chechens in general? Uh, nothing. Have you ever heard anything about Chechnya? I know there was a war. Uh, you have to be more specific. I-, I was thinking what most people probably know of now, other than like horrible human rights abuses, if you happen to be gay, is like MMA, because MMA is fucking huge coming out of Chechnya and Dagestan, and, uh, which is oh, like yeah. next door. Absolutely. That's where uh, Nurgamedov is from. That's where like that whole camp is from. <laughs> they also have like child MMA fights. Didn't we watch a Vice uh, fucking yeah, thing yeah, on it I- on YouTube? Yes, I think they went to Dagestan. Yeah, those kids were intense. Yeah, it's also like really bad for children to have them do that. Kids shouldn't be taking shots to the head. Brains and stuff. But you you did hit the nail on the head for one of those things. A war happened there. Yeah, fuck, I'm here for it. And All that's right. actually where a, a lot of the Western understandings of Chechnya come from, myself included. Um, I do have to point out that I'm a very stupid person. And uh, as someone who was once in the military... Like you, probably, you might be a little young for it, or maybe you didn't hear about it because you never deployed yet. That, like, oh, you got to look out in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's Chechen snipers. And, you know, those I've guys. I've heard it in movies. Yes, it's never happened. Uh, it's been shown to be virtually like a boogeyman that was a propaganda tool for pretty much everybody. The insurgents benefited from it because it made Americans scared. Americans benefited from it because. They could somehow, I don't know, dehumanize and delegitimize the fighting ability of the locals when the vast majority of people were fighting in Afghanistan, especially within like five to six miles of their own home. Now, once upon a time, that was true. Uh, there, <laughs> there was Chechens and various other people fighting in Afghanistan, especially against the Soviets. But uh, when I was there, no, nah, there's no fucking Chechens. And anybody listening who's an Afghan war veteran, there's no Chechens there when you were there either. Shut up. We watched American Sniper and they talked about it. Did they fuck? Did they bring that up in American Sniper? I think so. They probably fucking did. They probably fucking did. I may be mistaken. The sniper was, uh, I believe, Jordanian. Remember Olympic. when it like zoomed? Yeah, he was an zoomed Olympic in as a, like Olympic medal on the wall, which yeah. is like, yeah, uh, something like that. But you know, it would not surprise me. That is unfortunately uh, how a lot of people think of Chechens as a people. They're great snipers. Not, not that they're great snipers, that Just they're like throw out of the womb. Everywhere that you see them in movies and popular media, they're either punching someone in the face or doing something awful. I kind of want to talk about 
I mean, obviously a lot, of, especially in the U.S. and actually Russia, for that matter, of which they are still part, uh, a member of the Fe- Russian Federation, is racism and Islamophobia. Chechens were called <laughs> by Russians. So like they were a victim of racism on all sides. A neighbor to my own motherland in the Caucasus mountain range where everybody's racist against everybody. So <laughs> it's huh? not, it's oh, not okay. great. Yeah. Now, the reason why I wanted to finally talk about this war is, one, I think we've kind of already brought it up once when we talked about Boris Grashev, which we'll talk about again in much more exhaustive detail, unfortunately. Old podcast fans will remember that from probably two and a half years ago. One of our first 10 episodes, I believe. Uh, Don't go back and listen to it. It's awful. We didn't pay anybody to do anything back then. No, no, we did not. The professionalism that you're used to now, uh, certainly gone then. Uh, <laughs> and that, that quite picked up. I personally believe my research ability has gotten much better when it comes to researching things that are not very well known in the West, using non-English sources in translators and things like that. But also we, as a show, have gotten better at understanding and conceptualizing these conflicts for our audience. And this one is interesting. <laughs> It's weird, uh, but we'll get to that point. Gotcha. Because to, in order to talk about the first Chechen war, and I need to be specific here, we are talking about the first one because there's the first Chechen war, this interwar period, the second Chechen war, and then what is effectively Russia's forever war immediately after that, though they said that they, you know, it quote unquote ended at some point before I believe 2010. Debatable. But we're only talking about the first one. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Now, in order to do that, we need to talk about how exactly this tiny sliver of land, which is full of, you know, not Russian people. Deadly snipers. Just deadly snipers everywhere. How it ended up being part of Russia for so long, right? Uh, it's, it's a very small part of the North Caucasus region with a population under 2 million people. Uh, it floats around about a million and a half, uh, depending on when the last time Russia came through was. And how exactly that not only did they end up facing the entire Russian military, but winning. So Chechnya ha- is a place with an incredibly old history. Uh, you know, there's, especially us uh, in the US, we we're talking about like, oh, you know, it's, it's really old, like it's 100 years ago uh, or whatever. But like Chechnya has been an inhabitable place with civilizations of roughly the same kind of cultures for since 40,000 BC. Huh? So it's a pretty, it's a pretty old place. For the longest time, it fell into an ancient kingdom known as Alania, which was kind of spread through the region, though eventually all of that came crashing down when the Mongols swept through. Um, Now, this broke apart the ties that bind a lot of these groups, leading to continuous warfare with neighboring tribes, as well as like an insurgency against occupying Mongols, which will become a bit of a through line for uh, Chechen history as one insurgency or another against someone that's occupying them. Now, it wasn't until the late 15th and early 16th century where uh, what would be known as Russia would show up. The problem is for Chechnya is they're kind of like a land bridge to a different region. Russia is looking to expand their trade. You have all of these insular communities that are protected by mountain ranges, which makes it very hard to invade and occupy, as the Mongols would find out. And spoiler alert. So do the Russians. Nice. We have to get these barbarian tribes to listen to us so we can trade with the people on the other side. This is just like a pathway. Our stepping stone. Yes. It's Russia's Panama without a canal. 
When they finally moved in, that's because a local leader, Temurek of Carbadia, asked Ivan the Terrible, yeah, that one, of Russia, for help dealing with the rebellious folks that wouldn't stop stabbing his soldiers, i.e. those being the Chechens, uh, though they wouldn't be called that yet. In order to solidify this bond, Ivan married the guy's daughter, and soon the Russian desire on sweet, sweet Chechen land were on. And it wouldn't really stop from that point forward. Oh, they didn't solve it? Uh, no. The, the world would probably be a much better place, and there'd be a lot less dead people if this didn't happen. So if you had a dispute with your neighbor, you marry his daughter. Back then, absolutely. Because then you kill your neighbor, and you can just claim ownership over his property, oh, <laughs> which is nice. effectively what kings are. That's like the reason why the, the Queen of England, they were all originally German. <laughs> they married into the family and took it over. That's just Fuck how it. that works. Yeah. <laughs> Do you imagine how much gym space you would have if you had his fucking land? Exactly. That's why I have to actually marry Laika, who is my daughter, off to their son, and then assassinate them. And is then that Hawaii Chewy? Put my claim to their land and then we can have i can have my legitimate reason to go to war even if i manufactured it and then i can win right who are your soldiers i don't know uh <laughs> it depends on which money i have i can buy them this is your introduction to i don't know european politics before democracy was the thing and also most of the other world like you know it's inbred people beefing over turf where is how we always explain that right i gotta love it yeah it was also around this time that the Chechen population began to slowly convert to Sunni Islam. Uh, not just the Chechen population, but also the surrounding areas. Like I, I'm going to continue referencing Chechnya, but there's also Dagestan, Ugasheria, and a few other places. It sounds like you're pronouncing all these pretty good. I practiced. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In the, the names, <laughs> not so much. The, the people names I will fuck up, I promise, because uh, they're interesting. At one point, actually more than one point, all of these places fall under one government. Uh, at one point, one area will take over the other. They're also all very closely related tribes and ethnic groups. So since we're focusing mostly on Chechnya for this series, I'm going to continue referencing che Chechnya. Oshetians and Ingushetians, if you're out there, I didn't forget about you. Maybe at some point in the future, <laughs> right? Nice to meet you guys. <laughs> I didn't know who you were. We're huge in South Oshetia, a little known fact. Uh, when the Russians invaded, they brought our podcast with them. Now, eventually, Peter I would invade the area again during the Russo-Persian War of 1722. And that is kind of like the thing, right? Like, you have the Persians there. You eventually will have the Ottomans creeping up as well. So it's like Chechnya is caught in the middle. <laughs> um, and Chechnya doesn't really want to be part of either or. or. They want to be left alone. They want to be their own thing. Yeah, they just want to chill. Yeah. Uh, the Russians would take their own area over through backdoor political dealings against Persia, promising protection and limited amount of freedoms to the area. So eventually, Chechnya would be like, you know, these Russians are kind of fucking assholes, but the Persians are fucking assholes too. And the Russians say, if we side with them, they'll let us run our own shit and we just got to pay them like a tax. Let's, let's work with them. With the added bonus, if Persia invades us again, Russia will send more troops and they have way more Russians than we have Chechnyans. So like, maybe we should, uh, you know, hang out with Peter over here. Okay. Russia would immediately fucking backstab them, not give them any freedoms, and start moving Russians into the area to colonize it, yeah, which is something they continue to right. do until the 90s. The main stepping point is even the Chechen tribes would probably be okay with this, but the Russians attempt to convert them to Christianity because kind of a through line of Russian history through the Tsar age is most of the Tsars saw themselves like the protectorate of Christianity and spreaders of Christianity throughout the region. 
which mm. is one of the reasons why the Russians got involved in uh, the Ottoman Empire and the plight of like Armenians, Georgians, and, and things like that. Not because of, I don't know, humanity, but because they believe Christianity made you an elevated people. And as they were Muslim, that meant that they were subhuman and they needed to be saved, right? Oh. Like that fucking idiot who went to the island and <laughs> in the Indian Ocean and got owned. Oh, yeah. They believe that people need to be saved. And also, if you believe that, fuck you. Here, right? hold on to a few <laughs> of these arrows, big fella. Catch these fucking arrows, right? Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the Chechens started shooting at them. With guns, though. Uh, and this would happen, like, a lot. Uh, these rebellions are pretty continuous. Uh, at no point was, like, the, the land that would become Chechnya or Dagestan or Ingushetia or any of these places, like, okay, we're done. They would put down a rebellion and another one would just immediately pop up. And they would time them for, like, when Russia and Persia would go to war, Chechnya would be like, now. <laughs> right? <laughs> they could fucking smell it. And it wasn't like, uh, you know, we're going to work with Persia and join up to fuck the Russians. It's like, no, no, no. The Russians are distracted. <laughs> we can fight the Russians now, too. So they're fighting everybody. Yes. Uh, which is very common. They were very insular and they wanted to fucking stay that way. Like, just leave us the fuck alone. Like, they're not this international power that's going to invade. Though, like, between them and a few other neighboring areas, there was a lot of fluid borders for quite some time. They weren't going to, like, invade Russia. They weren't going to invade Persia or Turkey or anything. Like, leave us the fuck alone. Understandable. Yeah, and it's one of those problems when you're the crosswalk uh, between all of these imperialist powers. That's just not going to fucking happen. Afghanistan, how's it going? These continuous rebellions will be just constant. They will fucking never stop. When Peter and the other czars redeploy the Russian army heavily into Chechnya to fight Chechens, this only made it worse, right? Most of these rebellions were timed with wars with Persia, like I said. Like when these was the so-called Murid War, where a Chechen warlord by the name of Bang Singyur, who had one eye, one arm, and one leg, huh? led the United Tribes against the Russians. How do you get that <laughs> shitty into the stick? I assume he caught one half of a cannonball. I don't know. Is it all on one side? Like I got all good left side. Yeah, they, they call him old righty. You know, I was good right-handed, but uh, now I got to learn left. And the Russians really couldn't figure out how to stop this stuff. Like when Bang Singir was put down, another one would immediately fucking rise up, uh, mostly made out of his relatives, because there's this concept of like blood vengeance, right? Where, uh, and this is common in a lot of areas. Armenia had it. I, I know Albania has it. A few other really old civilizations have it as well. Uh, and it's mostly died out in modern times, though there's some, you know, as always, there's traditionalists that hold on to stuff. Well, I hope that you hold, hold true to tradition and they like keep both arms or something. Unfortunately, limbs aren't much of a tradition as they are more of just like, if I got to lose my arm, I got to lose my arm. Bang Singir gets killed by the Russians, right? Well, Bang Singer has has sons, he has uncles, whatever. Like, well, now we have to fight the Russians because you killed our family member. And admittedly, like most people would probably do that anyway, but it was considered like an honorable thing to do. Like, well, and for instance, like in a more personal level, you kill me, right? We both like get in an argument over something. You shoot me. Now my brother has to kill you. Oh, I thought Laika would have to come after me. Eh, Laika probably would have she had thumbs. Unfortunately, of all the tricks I have taught her, I have not quite taught her how to do a double tap yet. I feel like she still could. I don't know. Take Try taking a ball from her. She's pretty vicious. <laughs> so like, you know, a family member of mine would have to kill you or failing that one of your family members. 
one of these Russian military units comes through these villages. Remember, this is the 17, 1800s. Even in, through the 90s, which we'll talk about, listening to uh, laws of land warfare, the Geneva Conventions doesn't really happen. So you can imagine how brutal, like, you know, pillage and rape and looting and burning is just like how war worked back then. It's disgusting. But you right. can imagine how when one of these units passes through a village, like, congratulations, you've just made 500 lifetime enemies in their entire family. Like, you're never going to put down these things with force. And every time they do it, it's like just throwing wood onto a fire, right? Uh, okay, gotcha. So the Russians are like, well, you know what? We can't beat the Chechens. Let's just get rid of them. So they decided to do settle, settler colonialism instead, and not just moving Russians in, though they would do that. They'd also move in Don Cossacks. And the Cossacks would be something of a wall where the Russians would use them to populate an area without having to like station troops because they would you know, raise their own local levies and things like that. And if you know, a whole bunch of Cossacks get wiped out, the, the Russians don't really care. You know, uh, they're being used. Right. They're, they're going to move in all these Cossacks. And they'll be able to pacify the area. They'll outbreed the locals or whatever. You know, it's soft genocide, right? You're eventually going to muscle them out of the area. But that didn't work because the Chechens are like, yo, fuck those guys. And they just start shooting at them. The, this idea only works if you look at our history with, with natives in the U.S. There was obviously outright mass murder, but most of the killing happened non-directly. Uh, you know, more and more white people came in. We took up more and more of their resources, deprived them of those resources. They starved to death, die of disease, etc. Okay. That's kind of what they were hoping would happen to the Chechens. Like, we're going to move these Cossacks and the Russians in. Eventually, the, the, the Chechens are going to have no choice but to assimilate into our culture, which means become Christians or die. Right? Right. So the Chechens decided, wait, no, we have guns. We can shoot you. And that's what happened. And they won. Yeah. Fuck that noise. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're not all about this going quietly thing. <laughs> By the 1860s, the Russians just said, fuck it. We're done doing this shit the soft way. And that's when the Sarkeesian genocide happened. That's right. You thought you could go a whole episode of this show without hearing about a genocide. You're wrong. I don't understand. Uh yeah. Uh, now, the Tsar of Russia or the deportation, murder, and destruction of most of the Muslim population of Russia. Now, as the name describes, this mostly targeted the Sarkasian people. But like most genocides, there's more than one target. Um, now, like much like the Holocaust, where it targeted, obviously, the Jewish population of Europe, but also travelers, gay people, trans people, black people everybody uh, that was not a quote-unquote Aryan German. And the Armenian genocide targeted Greeks, Assyrians, Yazidis, things like that. The Circassian genocide targeted just Muslims across the board. Uh, this included about the entire population of, uh, of Circassia, but as, as well as 75% of the Chechen and English populations were removed or murdered. Jesus. Now, the target for the first deportation was to force them into the Ottoman Empire. Uh, which was considered a caliph at the time, so like a Muslim government. And they're like, well, we don't want them. You take them. And the Ottomans didn't want them either because the Ottomans are too busy hating their own people, namely the Armenians, the Greeks, the Assyrians, and the Azizis, who all lived in the area where the Circassians would end up. A lot of hate going around. It's bad. Yeah, uh, this was like the first true attempt uh, by a state to just destroy part of their own population. 
By the end of it, almost about 2 million people were dead. Several more times that were removed. The Ottoman Empire, which was right next door, took a whole lot of notes for the future. Oh, wow. And I mean, you know, side note here, this was used as propaganda against Armenians and the, the Greeks, the Syrians, and Yazidis in the Ottoman Empire. When uh, the Circassians would come in, the Ottoman government kind of told them, yeah, you're, you're part of the Uma, you can move in, you're fine. But the Ottomans actually hated them because they were Russian subjects. They didn't trust them. They didn't care that they were Muslim. So instead of like having the Circassians turn against the government, the, i.e. that being the Ottomans, they're like, you know, you would have a whole bunch of nice stuff if it wasn't for all these fucking Armenians taking it. Huh. Yeah. And that kind of set the, a, a lot of the gene seeds for future violence. Um, what, what it really turned into was these poor people were used as an imperial tool and genocided uh, and then taken advantage of. It sucks. For the Russians, this worked. They so severely depopulated the areas in rebellion that the rebellions died out, at least organized rebellions. Like the days of like a, a rebel army were gone. Now, this would force them with the lack of numbers to more of an insurgency, uh, like a low intensity conflict, I think is the, is the wonk way to put it. Okay. It's mostly just because like we don't have any fucking Chechens left. One insurgent leader known as Zemlikhan uh, decided that he would start robbing Russian trains and became a folk hero for it, which is off topic, but fucking rad. Hell yeah. Just to like to set the mood for how Chechens see the struggle. And you can, after hearing about the Circassian genocide, you could hardly blame them. Uh, Zemlikhan had a whole bunch of folk songs written about him. Do they slap? They're as incredibly depressing as you can imagine from the region that they came from. Never mind. <laughs> this is one of them. Quote, he howls because there's no death for him. He would like to die of longing for the family, which the Ru Russian authorities sent, not sparing little children, to the ends of the earth. Oh. Where people gather only after death, but death does not take Zemlikhan, since God protects him until the moment where he avenges every last one of his dead relatives to all the guilty, since God does not leave any evil. Not a single tear inflicted on the innocent without avenge. I assume it rhymes better in the local language. No. <laughs> Someone like, I don't know, play this with the background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I honestly believe there were tracksuits dating back then. Just tracksuits like knitted out of sheep's wool. <laughs> what is Aditas? We do not know, child, for it is written. But yeah, that's like one of the folk songs they wrote about Zemlikhan. So do you think it had to be hard bass too? It, it was like a super popular name uh, throughout, and it still is. Uh, when like when you're reading firsthand accounts of like from Chechen fighters of, during the war, there's like eight Zemlikhans hanging around. It's like like a lot of Armenians named Monty after the 90s, right? There's a lot of folk songs about him. They're all very grim. Now, thankfully for the Chechens and the various minorities of the area, the Russian Empire eventually imploded with revolution. This had the benefit of making the government too busy trying to cobble the whole thing together than to fuck with them. So they created their own country. Chechens, Ingush, and a few other surrounding groups tossed their lot in together to form the absolutely awesome named United Mountain Dwellers of the Caucasus. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be absolutely awesome something something. Like, that was in the name. The United Mountain Dwellers of the Caucasus. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. That sounds like the local confederation of dwarves. <laughs> I still should have watched The Lord of the Rings. I haven't watched it. You've never watched it at all? We've talked about this. I have, have never we? seen it. 
Fuck. Maybe I just deleted that from my brain because how badly it offended. And Harry Potter. Yeah, you can skip those ones. Seen Star Wars. Big Star Wars guy. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. What? Officially, the United Mountain Dwellers uh, of the Caucasus would be known as the Mountainous Republic of the North Caucasus. Yeah. I'm not big into mountains. Like, I'd get tired. I guess you get used to them. I like the United Mountain Dwellers better. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I just, that name sounds so great to me. This nation was formed in 1917. And rather than like a lot of the other stuff that we're going to talk about, uh, this was a recognized sovereign independent nation state. Really? The Mountainous Republic had seven different states, each of them with their own ethnic group, like the Ingush, the Ashetians, the Chechens would all have their own under a united confederation. Uh, and this was recognized by every major power in the world, not named Russia. Maybe they thought the same thing. Oh, mountain dwellers? Badass. Even like the US, the UK, France, Germany, they all recognized this place. Now, a lot of that could be to own the Russians, uh, who at, you remember at this point are falling mm. apart at the seams. Gotcha. But like still, this is the most recognized independent nation that Chechnya would ever be a part of, uh, which is significantly more recognized, I should point out, than the Confederate States of America. Which is none. <laughs> now, this republic was unfortunately short-lived and had a very, very rough life. With the Russians falling into civil war, uh, the parties of that war kept invading it because, like the Bolsheviks, which you know obviously would eventually form the USSR, right, and the right. White Army, which were the the czarist loyalists, kind of something other fascists sometimes chaos or and don't bother with it. They both considered the Mountain Republic as part of Russia. So, like, they both invaded it. The white volunteer army was uh, kept harassing them quite a bit, but they were eventually defeated by the Red Army in 1921. And then the Red Army invaded them too, ending the Republic on January 1921, making them a part of the Soviet Union. God. <laughs> sound, I love the soundboard, God. <laughs> God, I'm glad I don't have it on my side. I know. That's why I have control of it. <laughs> now officially part of the Soviet Union, the Chechens and the Ingush were forced into the Chechino-Ingush Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic. That doesn't roll off the tongue like mountain dwellers. You know, there's one thing that you can say about communists. One of them is they are not great at naming things. No. Like, that's why you end up with stuff like that or like units of the Red Army named like the 309th Independent Guards Airborne Separate regiment it's weird for real yeah oh, straight up it's fucking weird off topic again but in the in the soviet military and actually still today i believe in the russian military and a few of the other post-soviet republics units could earn titles so you could be like a guards unit and stuff like that and they'd just be like tacked on to whatever whatever your actual signifier is so you could be like independent motor rifle regiment guards <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't flow off the tongue. Maybe it doesn't Russian. I don't know. I don't speak Russian. With the pause and then the guards. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Guards in all caps. Now, for once, there was not that many rebellions. Though that slow burning insurgency that they would be known for was never far away. Mm. It was simply made much harder for all of the flaws of the czarist government. They weren't very good at monitoring these far-flung hard to access places. So like, oh, Chechnya is rebelling again. Fuck, we have to send people down there, right? But the USSR is much better at monitoring and controlling its population. So that made the Chechino Ingush Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic much easier to control rather than like Vlad's going to go take a rifle and shoot at the Russians from the woods, which 
They still did. There were still six uprisings before World War II. Jesus. You just don't hear about them. Uh, they were very big, but they were there. Uh, but then the Nazis invaded, uh, unfortunately, for everyone. While the Soviets would eventually turn their war machine around, the opening stages of that war were famously shit and not going great for the uh, Soviet Union. In the first month of the war, the Nazis had stormed through the Caucasus region uh, and uh, taking nearly half. So in just like a month, just making incredible gains as the Soviet military collapsed trying to defend it. The fiercest resistance they found in the early days of Operation Barbarossa was by Chechen soldiers. Really? They seem to be the only ones in the area able to hold off the Nazis at all. Well, they're mountain dwellers. <laughs> We're the United Mountain Dwellers. Get out of our yard. <laughs> Local Mountain Dwellers Union 42069 shooting at Nazis. <laughs> this included one hero of the Soviet Union named Kong Pasha Nerdilov, who killed nearly 1,000 German Fuck. soldiers while manning a machine gun. Jesus. <laughs> it's like mid-900s. <laughs> But unfortunately, this did not stop this racial minority from being scapegoated. Soviet officials, looking for an excuse as to why they were failing so badly in the war, decided to blame the Chechens, claiming that they're all spies working for the Nazis. Clearly. This is mostly put forward by NKVD dickhead Bogdan Kubelov, who ironically was half Armenian and this exact excuse would be used against his family in the Ottoman Empire to justify the Armenian genocide a few decades earlier. You dick. What the fuck? Now, he was directly under the NKVD chief and part-time serial rapist and murderer, Lavrenti Beria, who is just a historical fucking piece of shit. I cannot say enough mean things about Lavrenti Beria. Now, he was so widely known for being an absolute monster. Like he was like the one of the top three people in the Soviet Union and everybody in the Kremlin knew not to let their children around him. Oh. Yeah. He's a fucking monster. Beria and Kubalov decided that, you know what? The Chechens should be forcefully removed again. What? Why? <laughs> Here's the thing. You have to put yourself in like diseased brainworm territory. Gotcha. The Nazis are storming across the Caucasus and mostly the Soviet Union as a whole at this right. point, right? Clearly, it cannot be the failures of the Red Army because that would mean squaring those failures, the failure of government leadership. Yeah, obviously. So it must be the fault of the people that live in these areas that are falling, despite the fact that many of them are fighting tooth and nail to defend their home from Nazis. So, boom, Chechens. Mm. Not to mention, they were still stubbornly holding on to the religion, which authorities did not like. Yeah, those dicks. Yep. So they ordered Operation Lentil in 1943. I like lentils. You won't after this. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, I do have to say that all credible historians recognize Operation Lentil as the order of a genocide against the Chechens and English, which oh. I fully agree with. Uh, I understand I'm not quite a genocide uh, academic Yet, but the evidence is pretty clear. Around 700,000 people were forcefully deported from what is today Ingushetia and Chechia to forced settlements into what is now Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. Uh, now, these forced settlements would its effectively slave labor. You'd go work in mines and factories and things like that. Um, you were not exactly given a choice in the matter. Uh, around a third of those deported died from starvation, freezing, or outright murder. Oh, fuck. They were sent to like some of the harshest climate on Earth with only what they could carry on their back. Some of them were just shot. It, it was awful. 
you know, I guess I won't make lentils this week. Uh, yeah, just pour your lentils out uh, in protest of a long dead government. Now, once the, the populations were kicked out, guess who was brought in? Russians. Mm. They were brought in to repopulate the area. By the time that the Chechens were allowed to return all the way in 1956, Jesus, they found that their homes, land, and the entire demographic of the area had been taken from them and changed. Everything was changed. Mosques had been destroyed. Streets were renamed in Russian. Russian was now the dominant and required language of the area. They even found out their graveyards had been bulldozed. Their return caused the Russians who had moved in in their place to break out into riots in the capital of Grozny. Now imagine, if you will, moving into an area and taking over. Like some of the, In some of these cases, like when the Chechens were forcefully deported, Russians were just moving with their briefcases like directly into their homes. That's fucked. A little over a decade later, I, as Khrushchev was like, yeah, they can come back. Right. Uh, and they like a lot of Chechens were like, yes, I would like to go home. Right. Kazakhstan sucks. <laughs> I would like to go home. Kazakhs, if you're like, I've never been there. I don't know. It seems like they weren't, they didn't want to stay. Maybe because I don't know, they weren't Kazakh. They'd go back home. And the problem was now all these settlers that moved in now faced competition for jobs and stuff like that. Because now there's this massive influx of people when the Russians were promised preferential treatment. Like, well, we speak Russian. We're Russian. We work in the factories. We work, more importantly, the oil fields. Like Now we're going to actually have to face challenging challenges for these jobs from the people who I stole their homes for or stole their this homes is from. Bullshit. Fuck these guys. This, this is oppression, sir. <laughs> Just the amount of privilege necessary to riot for that is, I don't know. We saw that in January 6th, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> privilege has never stopped anybody from rioting, I suppose. But like... Still, it's like even in the Soviet Union, people were like, no, we want racism. And the government's like, fine, fine, we'll give you racism. Calm down. Only a decade. <laughs> it's only, yeah, it's been like 15 years. What the fuck? Some people have been living in uh, certain houses that, like, you know, get eminent domain and their families have been sharing them for generations. Like, this is actually pretty common in, Ch- in parts of China when they're trying to, like, build, uh, like, road networks and stuff through. And people like refuse to move out of their homes because like they've raised their family in them. I think they call them like nails or something like that because like you get like the nail has to be hammered right, down or whatever. Right. And they just like outright refuse to move out of this home, which normally looks like shit because it's like eighty years old or whatever. <laughs> so they like build an entire road going around it just to fucking spite them. But like that, I kind of get like it's my house. Fuck you! I've been here forever. But it's like, dude, my old poster's still on the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm 32. 15 years ago feels like a long time, but not that long ago, you know? Uh, but the, the Soviet government assured the Russians that moved in, they would legally discriminate against the Chechens. Oh, okay. Obviously, they didn't hang up a big banner saying racism go forward, but like uh, Russians were given preferential treatment in regards to jobs, universities, living arrangement. Because remember, this is the Soviet Union. You can't just go buy a house. You have to put in paperwork and requisition it from the government. And they decide who needs that. I'm not saying that like state rationed uh, housing is bad. In fact, we should have, I don't know, a thousand times more than what we currently have in the US in regards to that. But like they were like a Chechen was like, I would like a house. I have you know this family. You guys took my house. Can I please have a new one or an apartment or whatever? Right. And the Russians are like, uh, sorry, we gave it all to Igor and his family. <laughs> You're fucked. Most importantly, they were kept out of like, 
even running their own was effectively their own supposedly autonomous area within the Soviet Union. Uh, they didn't have government jobs. They didn't have oil jobs. They weren't like very few of them were allowed to go to university. You're forcing a brain drain on a population. Like you're purposefully making them disadvantaged. Right. Right. 1956 is allowed when they're when they're allowed to move back home in an area where like everybody is communist because they have to be. If you want to get ahead, you're going to join the communist party. You're going to put in work. You're going to move your way up the political bodies. It's human nature to want to be involved in these power apparatuses, right? But it wasn't until 1989 that a Chechen would actually be elected to lead the regional communist party. Fuck. In Chechnya. <laughs> 1989. They've been allowed back since 1956. And you know they're pissed off. Yeah, they're not fucking happy. They're fucking houses. You know the floor pans. They're fucking it up, the Russians. Yeah, they're moving in. They're fucking, I don't know, boiling kvass. Kvass. <laughs> look, look at them just on my porch spitting sunflower seeds at their feet. Let me back in my house. You remember that one time we were supposed to make kvass and then we didn't want to be miserable? We didn't want to be miserable and also we saw a warning that if you fucked it up, you could go blind. <laughs> We're in 1989 now, which is, you know, the twilight of the Soviet Union. By the time the 1990s rolled around, Chechnya is one of the poorest areas in the entire Soviet Union. Unemployment was very, very high. And the best paying jobs, most importantly, in the oil industry, which is not only better paying, it's prestigious, almost all held by Russia. Right. right? I imagine. Now, if you remember back during our um, Iran-Iraq war series, almost the same thing happened where... The British held all of the petroleum jobs. So when they left, the entire industry collapsed because they like purposely did not let Iranians go to uh, university to study these things. They didn't hire Iranians mm. to do all these things. It makes you dependent on No them. left seat, right seat's going on. Definitely not. No. Now, like many parts of the Soviet Union at this time, Chechens were starting to think that independence would be pretty fucking rad right about now after everything that's happened. Absolutely. Now, the leader of the local communist party, that guy that just got elected in 1989, his name was Doku Zagayev. Now, he was in favor of kind of sort of independence within a future Russia, which honestly is kind of what ended up happening You know, in the current day. Technically, they are slightly autonomous and are within the Russian Federation. That's kind of what he was looking for, but he seemed to be the only person in favor of that. Uh, there were some people who were okay working with the Russians, but the loudest voices in the room were for independence. Uh, this led Soviet Air Force General Zhokar Dudayev, or Dudayev to form the Chechen National Congress. Uh, and he became the main opposition to Zevgayev in a place where political opposition generally never existed before. Now, Dudayev's argument was pretty cut and dry. Look at what working with the Russians got us. Let's just be our own state. You know, fuck these guys. Dudayev demanded the Communist Party's power be transferred to the Chechen National Congress, which was rapidly gaining popularity within Chechnya. The thing is, that's not really how the government worked. You couldn't just be like, ah, yes, he's in charge now. Dudayev wasn't a communist. That's the one knock against oh, okay. him. And since you know the, the Soviet Union hadn't collapsed yet, when they did collapse, they I believe it was 15 states that the, the Russian SSFR at the time was just like, you know what, you're independent now. We're, this is done. I'll be your own states. Chechnya would not be one of them. Russia considered Chechnya part of Russia. And Chechnya considered themselves part of Chechnya. Right. Uh, at least parts of them did. Most, most importantly, Dudayev and the Congress. The USSR was not so unstable at the time 
that the Congress could just be like, fuck you, I'm in charge now. That would happen eventually, but not yet. Now, Zavgayev saw himself as a leader of whatever future version of a Chechen state came out of this whole USSR thing. And he just needed to keep this shit under control for a bit. But that would change. Uh, not because of Zagayev or Dudayev, but because of Boris Yeltsin. If you're not familiar with him, he's a treat. Like a good treat? No. no. <laughs> Boris Yeltsin's a fucking monster, but he's a funny one. That never anything good. He's a notorious drunk. We'll talk a little bit more about his drinking and his illnesses later on. But like, for instance, one time as head of the Russian Federation, I, actually, it may have been the Soviet Union at the time. I can't remember. He came to the U.S. for like, you know, a political meeting. And then he, uh, the Secret Service found him drunk and wandering around on the sidewalk in his underwear, attempting to hail a taxi <laughs> so he'd go get pizza. Just absolutely <laughs> fucking fuck? like the second most powerful man on earth. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> Now, Boris Yeltsin, for better or for worse, I believe most people probably argue for worse. Sure, I get it. He had been stripping away the decades-old power structures that held everything in place. This mostly included being old guard communists, which included Zevgayev. And, the, and by old guard communists, I mean just like decades-old loyalists. They're going to go whatever direction the Communist Party tells them. They weren't nationalists. They weren't uh, separatists, nothing. They didn't want anything to change. Yeah, nobody likes change. So all of this wasn't really working and knew that there needed to be some change, some kind of change in place. So in 1991, Yeltsin ordered Zevgayev to resign. And he did, because that's what you do when you're in that position. Now, Yeltsin was attempting to get ahead of this coming to blows of the separatists versus the old guard in Chechnya. Like, well, if we just get rid of Zevgayev, right, and we allow the Chechens to elect somebody... And we can be like, see, look, you have representation now. You don't have this guy you don't like, right? But Dudayev ended up being much better at politics than Yeltsin did. Uh, and more importantly, he knew local politics much better than Yeltsin did because he's a fucking Chechen, right. right? This ended up being an incredibly bad idea because Yeltsin is thousands of miles away in Moscow. I don't know if you've ever looked at a map. Russia's fucking huge oh, yeah. and Chechen's at the very fucking bottom corner of it. <laughs> so like... It's going to take Yeltsin a while to get his ducks in a row to attempt to do this election. So Yeltsin ordered that the Chechen authorities establish a temporary council that would rule the Chechen English Republic until parliamentary elections, which are scheduled for November of 1991. Now, if you're thinking that there might be something of a power vacuum in this situation, like Zevgayev's gone, there's going to be a representation, there's going to be an election, first of all, which is new, nobody's really sure what happens next. So Dudayev decided to make it easy for everyone by simply walking in and declaring the Congress the temporary council. Nice. Yeah, like, Yeltsin's <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> We're in charge now. We got this. I like the confidence. Yeah, big dick energy. Big Dudayev energy. Yeah. More importantly than just declaring the National Congress in charge of the English Chechen Republic is that he decided he'd hold his own elections. This guy, <laughs> this guy gives himself his own reviews to... How do you think you're doing? You're crushing it. <laughs> he's, holding, he's filling out his own survey. <laughs> yeah. Weird. This guy gave me all tens, <laughs> sir. Uh, that was you. That's all I need. Now, it should be pointed out that there's chaos everywhere right now throughout the Soviet Union, throughout Russia. 
about the future former Soviet Union. Yeltsin's got a lot of shit going on. And Dudayev's only got this really small plot of land to maneuver and play with. And he does it very, very well. Because while Yeltsin has to put out and fails to put out, thousands of fires are all over the place. Dudayev just got to inch his way in and nobody's going to fucking stop him, right? Yeltsin doesn't give a shit. He's more worried about like all of the other parts of Russia attempting to become their own republics or other republics stealing from the former Red Army or where certain borders are going to be. It's fucking chaos. And Dudayev's like, I like it. Here. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> this is mine now. So he declared his own elections, totally independent from the one that Yeltsin ordered in October. So the National Congress won, shocker, <laughs> and Dudayev became its president, shocker. <laughs> Now, this is probably about the time that Yeltsin's like, oh, I fucked up. I should have never made Zevgayev resign. And he was right. After taking office, Dudayev unilaterally announced Chechnya's independence, which propelled Yeltsin to declare a state of emergency in the Republic. Do you think people are out there like, can this guy do this? Like, are we for this? I mean, to be fair, Dudayev is very popular at this point. He has his opponents, for sure. There's the Russian population that settled in Chechnya that's like, oh, we do not like where this is going, <laughs> right? I think a lot of people were like, you know, he keeps doing things and Russia doesn't seem to be trying to stop him. So he must be able to do these things. But then Russia did try to stop him. He declared a, a, a state of emergency. And now this is only a few months before the USSR would completely dissolve. It's technically a thing. Uh, this is all happening in October, November. USSR dies in December of the same year. So like oh. he has a lot on his fucking plate. Unrest was going out everywhere. There was already war breaking out between Arme uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, like the Tajik civil war is already starting. Things are not going great. And this is a very small, he assumes, flash in the pan independence movement. Now, most of these countries were allowed to split away. Now, they were considered Soviet socialist republics within the USSR system, like Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, all these places. The Chechen Republic wasn't. Instead, it was part of the Russian Socialist Republic within the USSR system. At no point did Russia consider them an independent nation, even within the confines of the Soviet system. I mean, even though, I mean, remember, they were an independent state before the invasion of the Red Army in the 1920s. Right. People recognized them. I mean, their independence is not entertained for a second from Yeltsin or anybody else. He had ye old imperial borders to protect. Russia was worried that if, say... Chechnya broke free. Dagestan would want to break free, or Ingushetia, or Oshetia, or all these other places, right? There's like domino theory, but in Russia, right? But more importantly, remember, Chechnya's got fucking oil. We can't lose that fucking oil. We need that shit. Okay, because I was about to ask, like, what's the real hard on for che like Chechnya? Oil, definitely the oil. Yeah. Now, Dudayev declared independence, and he did not waste any time to get to work. He began to repossess and confiscate symbols of old Soviet power. He created a Chechen National Guard, which you know, an army, uh, which was made very easy by the sheer amount of weaponry and vehicles the Russians had just left laying around all over the place, or under a limited guard, or under the guard of Chechens. Might as well. Like, oh, mine? <laughs> yeah. And remember, there was already all of these networks to draft and train soldiers in the region, because... Red Army stuff, right? right? So the Republic just took them all over. Not to mention, because of the decades of loyal service to the Soviet Union, pretty much every single person in a senior position of authority within the new, um, they would be called the Chechen Republic of Ichkeria, were all like former general officers of the Red Army. Oh. Uh, not to mention all of the people under them were colonels, NCOs, veterans of various wars. Like, 
they start off with a solid base to start an army. They got a good lineup. Not to mention they have light, heavy weapons, vehicles, tanks, fucking fighter jets. Like, they just got given an entire military. They just had to go take it. Golden Knights first season. (laughs) What if the NHL draft, but for nation states and armies? In the first round, Chechnya takes T-72. Now, Yeltsin decided that he needed to nip this in the bud, right? And he sent 1,000 Soviet troops uh, there from the internal ministry. I feel like that's not enough. It definitely was not. Uh, They landed at the airport and were immediately surrounded by armed Chechens, soldiers, and civilians. Uh, They were disarmed, robbed blind, put back on the planes, and sent back over the border. Hey, come on. Hey, you got lunch money too? Let's go. Hand over. Like, look, man, I get it. You can have my rifle, but do you need to take my fucking watch too? (laughs) Shut up. Run your shit, motherfucker. (laughs) Take off your boots. That was when Yeltsin realized, like, Okay, things have gone pretty goddamn far. We need to invade Chechnya. Yeah, they took our boots. They're not even their size. We know it. It's just the principle of the matter. He's spitting my mouth. (laughs) There's just the guy in the back. I liked it. (laughs) Shut up, Alexi. We've been through (laughs) this. Thanks for that image. Just imagining some... I need to use the bathroom. Close your mouth, Alexi, please. Not not you. (laughs) I mean, with the the Russian system that we talked about during our Soviet-Afghan series, everything we just talked about has happened at one point. Now, uh, the thing is, is at the same time, there was damn near a civil war starting in Moscow. There was old guard and new guard uh, forces of the Communist Party fighting one another. There was tanks in the fucking street. People were getting blown up and shot. So he's like, hmm, I don't feel like I can invade Chechnya right now. (laughs) They put a pin in it? Yeah, Yeah, we'll go ahead and put this one on the back burner. Now, eventually, the USSR collapsed entirely in December of 1991, leaving more vehicles and weapons left over to be ta- taken over by the Republic themselves and the National Guard. It's, it's interesting to like look at how like the ginormous Red Army came apart. One person was explaining that he was a Russian stationed in Belarus in the Red Army. And like when the, everything came tumbling down, most of these areas that became independent seemingly overnight were given the option of taking over the local Red Army units. Like, this is the new... Belarusian army now, right? Or this is the new Tajik army, this is the new Kazakh army, or whatever. And like the Russian officers and NCOs, like you guys want to be uh, citizens of Belarus, or you want to go back home? And like that's they're just like that cut and dry. I was about to say that I'm surprised they got the option. In some places, like Uzbekistan, I believe, or maybe it was Tajikistan, that they're like, no, we're taking the entire Red Army. It's back to Russia. You guys have nothing. Fuck off. Could you imagine getting stationed there and being like, I don't live here. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and like a lot of people took it. To be fair, Russia was a hot ball of shit at the time and would be for several years. Uh, so like maybe not going home was kind of an okay thing. And then again, a lot of these places collapsed in the Civil War pretty immediately too. I'm just imagining the Rick and Morty episode where they're like, who's paying us? <laughs> oh, nobody is. <laughs> at this point, nobody's being paid anymore. That's why like, you know, in Lord of War, it shows what is he used Ukrainian just selling everything that isn't bolted down. Now they show Nicolas Cage's uncle, I think it I was, think so. to just be a, an alcoholic who wants money. But in reality, a lot, I mean, to be fair, a lot of the general officers certainly were. But in a lot of places, they were doing that because like the government has no fucking money. We can't even feed our soldiers. If we sell all these fucking tanks, I don't know, Libya or whoever, at least we'll be able to give them food. <laughs> I need you guys to deploy your tanks over here. Yeah, we'll do it. 
for money. That also happened. Uh, there was, I mean, a lot of mercenaries and guns for hire came out of this. Just thousands upon oh, thousands of tons of weaponry just vanished mysteriously overnight. And, you know, a lot of it was the, they call these people the oligarchs who are t- attempting to snatch away so much of uh, the former states and then Russia's wealth. And, you know, a lot of it was very, very selfish reasons and people trying to become filthy rich very quickly. But also some of it was like down to like company level commanders selling rifles and shit. I mean, uh, because like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like nobody's paying us. I need to feed these guys. And, you know, you have to get down to a pretty low level to find that level of humanity in most of these military formations for reasons we've already talked about before. There was ballistic missile units uh, that were in charge of ending the world uh, effectively that were forced to go forage for food because they had no money. Fuck. And it's hard to sell those on the streets too. <laughs> Anybody want a nuke? I, 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 20 bucks. <laughs> like you got the guy next to him with the fucking coat just pulling it out and he's selling like fucking like bullets and then you got the guy next to him. I can't fit that under my coat. If, if you happen to be on the missile units, which I, uh, like in the, in the, the separate missile units or whatever they were called, you have like the shittiest straw to draw when everything comes collapsing down because you own the one thing that everybody tracks if you sell it. Like you can sell tanks and AKs and jets and helicopters, but the minute you fucking pawn off a nuke on somebody, suddenly you're just like a most wanted criminal or some shit. States can do that. Individuals cannot, sir. Good luck finding a fucking buyer too. Who's going to believe you? Yeah, the US can sell weapons, uh, nuclear weapons and buy weapons of like mass destruction to like Israel and Saddam Hussein, but God forbid, fucking Arkady from Nikolai <laughs> over from where, here. Uh, yeah, pawns that shit off to pay his mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> look, I just want to eat. <laughs> yeah, like, look, man, I'm so, like, I've already eaten all my boots. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing fucking my fucking coat as a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so Yeltsin is has his back to the wall. He can't deploy forces because he's busy almost fighting a civil war. Now, meanwhile, in Chechnya, things are not going great if you happen to be a former functionary of the Soviet Union and also Russian. Uh, Now, I said things are being redistributed, confiscated. Those are mostly being taken from ethnic Russians. There is also widespread violence against Russians to include soldiers of the new Russian Federation. Mostly, um, they were internal ministry troops, but there's also some soldiers. The difference really doesn't matter at this point. I'm not going to go into it, but like... The, the Chechen National Guard, uh, like, do die of effect. said, like, yeah, you can shoot at them if they don't leave. So they started to shoot. Like, effectively, the first war did start in 1991. But the Russians decided they, st- they were sick of being shot at, and they just left Chechnya in June of 1992. And by that point, a lot of ethnic Russians got the fuck out. Very correctly, they saw the writing on the wall of, like, we cannot stay here. Maybe we don't belong. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have stolen all these guys' <laughs> yeah. shit. You ever think that we might be the baddies? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, obviously, uh, settler colonialism, bad uh, machine gunning families who happen to live in your neck of the woods, also bad. Uh, but, you know, fuck off. Get out. Now, Dudayev saw this as Russia giving up. that They had actually gotten rid of them. And now Chechnya, the Chechen Republic of Icharia, was truly independent. Like, they fucked off. They left. This is ours. And they're like, we win. Nice. Right? Not really, unfortunately. I wish it was that easy and this podcast would just be over. But Chechnya was still very fucking poor. Oh, there's more parts. Three more. <laughs> Chechnya is desperately poor. And remember, 
they just chased out all the guys who made money. Not like this is Chechnya's fault, mind you, but like they're victims of their circumstance. If they want to control the oil wealth, which they should in the future, if they want to create a functioning state, this is going to be where you make your money. They got rid of all the professionals, right? Like they chased them all out or shot a lot of them too. So they're like, okay, we have all this oil. We can't fucking work it. (laughs) Shit. Where's the guy that usually worked on this? Uh, He's laying down right next to you. Ah, Uh, Mm. I moved into his house. (laughs) I will tell you how I got it. Don't worry. That also used to be your house. So we're good. Now, there's also a lot of other problems. There was just decades of mismanagement and colonialism that uh, made a lot of the fucking population uh, disadvantaged. So, like, Dudayev had a hell of a mountain to climb to make a functional state right from the get-go. Yeah, they're already on a mountain, so that's kind of tough. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I, wish I, had, I wish I had the booze. I was honestly clip. hoping you had it. That's low-hanging. If you're going to create a state, you do not want to be already in this position, which, to be fair, most already are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in a position where you're making your own republic out of nothing. But... Dudayev had a visionary plan that included the nationalization of all the Soviet industries so he could try to lift people out of poverty and give them better uh, opportunities, housing, healthcare, jobs, things like that. And there was a fair amount of things that the the former Soviet Union left behind they could take over and do. Uh, He also wanted to create golden currency reserves, which they had none. If you remember all the way back to our Pepsi Navy episode, they don't technically have any currency. The old Soviet currency couldn't be traded internationally. So they have to create their new one that can be traded internationally. And they also had this very good idea, like, I don't know, a humanitarian idea, if you will, to create a water pipeline from the North Caucasus to the Middle East, right? Like, we're back, baby. We want want to be part of the Muslim community. Let's help you. We got fucking water, bro. Uh, All this failed spectacularly, unfortunately. All these things cost a vast amount of money and professionalism to do, which... They don't have, obviously, you know, unemployment got even higher and then crap output completely tanked, right? Uh, Because the people who are in charge and want to manage these things are all gone. It's like we talked about this in several other episodes. Uh, When you do something this drastic so quickly, you're going to have problems. Right. And not to mention like, you know, the Russians got the fuck out. So you're going to have problems. I'm not saying like redistribution is bad. But sometimes it can be. (laughs) Now the farming professionals are gone. The oil professionals are gone. The manufacturing and energy professionals are all gone. And there was no one to pick up the slack. Of course, this led to people immediately getting pissed at the guy in charge, Dudayev, uh, for failing in his role as president. Mm. Opposition groups began to pop up. And now Dudayev called all of these Moscow plants, right? Like, these are all fucking KGB ops, right? Some of them were. Some of them absolutely were, uh, but a lot of them were not. (laughs) A lot of people just really did not like the way Dudaya was handling shit. A little eight-year-old. There was a lot of Chechens that were brought in from Russia, or from the rest of Russia, I should say, to populate these opposition groups. Some of them were led by like former KGB guys, uh, which very clearly still attached to the Moscow government. Other groups were just pissed at Dudayev because he was doing a really bad job. Unfortunately, like I pointed out, there was guns everywhere uh, in Chechnya, which meant that political opposition quickly just turned to armed opposition. (laughs) Armed uprisings began to occur, uh, and Dudayev put them down quickly and horribly brutally with his new army. At one point, he rolled tanks against protesters in Grozny. Oh. Yeah. And it was not long after that that uh, the Republic lost the ability to control anything within its own borders. 
uh, high unemployment of young men who are incredibly heavily armed led to the entire area being turned into something of a smuggling heaven. It uh, became a crossing point for the global drug trade, the weapon trade, and human trafficking. Uh, at one point, it even became the number one producer of counterfeit money in all of the Soviet Union, which is impressive. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be good at something. <laughs> you know what? You found what you were good at, and you excelled. Well done. There's a lot of rumors that a lot of the higher echelons of the Republican government were also involved in these smuggling routes. Um, a lot of this is because when Russia pulled out, they effectively quarantined Chechnya. You couldn't travel over land. You had to smuggle everything in and out. There was no economic exchange, right? So it had to go to the black market. So you have people like Dudayev, who is the fucking president, running his own mafias and shit. Like his own generals and warlords are doing that as well. Like everybody who had their own hustle and like political opposition within Chechnya was also doing the same thing because it was the only part of the economy still functioning because Russia was strangling them back into compliance. Like, oh, you want to shoot at us and say you're independent? Let's see how good you do if you have no fucking oil, food, or water, bitch. Oh. You know? Yeah, it's fucked up. It's actually effectively what Israel's doing to Palestine, uh, you know, with blockades oh, yeah. and overland checkpoints. Like, they we're going to strangle you into listening to us. It's a carrot and the stick, except the stick is horrible war crimes and crimes against humanity and apartheid. Now, the spread of criminal influence within the kind of sort of independent but not really republic led people within the new Russian government to finally want to bring the hammer down on them. They're like, look, if we don't crush this in the womb in Chechnya, we're going to have crimes all over Russia, despite the fact they totally did. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of it had nothing to do with Chechnya. There's, you see these fires? You want them bigger? Like There was like a whole lot of like very open mafia shit going on at the time. Uh, and like none of it had to do with Chechnya. But they're like, look, this is Chechnya's fault. And it made them look bad, right? A few of the other areas around Chechnya decided to like rustle and ask for independence, like Tartarstan. Um, like they, I think they, they kidnapped some uh, foreigners at one point and ransomed them off for money. Like It's making Russia look bad, which is Easy to do at this point. <laughs> By 1994, so it's been years at this point. Remember, the Russians fully pulled out of Chechnya in June of 1992. Moscow had stopped thinking there was any diplomatic way out of the situation. Uh, they would have to resort to force, but they didn't want to invade. Instead, they began flooding Chechnya with even more weapons targeted towards Dudayev's political opponents in hope that this whole problem would just work itself out. Jesus. Honestly, a lot of this was bad planning because Yeltsin's Russia. But like, look, someone will just shoot Dudayev. There'll be a power vacuum. We can come back in. We just can't negotiate Dudayev. But... There's not many situations that are already awash in guns and civil warfare that you can make better with more guns, it turns out. And even this is kind of dumb from a Russian standpoint. A lot of these opposition groups were still independence-oriented. They just didn't like Dudayev. You know, if you get winged by one of the other groups, like, cool, we're in the same boat. <laughs> I just think it's funny that they're like, you know what, we'll solve this. More guns. Yeah. I mean, we do the same thing virtually. Though, not within our own borders that much anymore. <laughs> you know low-hanging fruit glass houses and all that we both suck now do die of man just stay in power so the russians said fuck it and decided to get involved directly in november of 1994 they formed a fake opposition group led by a chechen who used to be an officer in the soviet ministry of eternal affairs they paid hundreds of people to join him and train them over the border no when a few hundred people weren't enough they decided to add in a couple dozen russian mercenaries but also 
regular Russian soldiers who were conscripts from the Moscow military district. Okay. They were given uh, forged paperwork and told to change their uniforms slightly. What the fuck? How? <laughs> None of these guys can even locate Chechnya on a map. <laughs> Just to be safe, uh, they also included several dozen helicopters and jets that they simply painted over their insignia. Mm. Because who else would they possibly fucking belong to? Well, it's like if you look back during like the Bay of Pigs invasion, where we just force fed a whole bunch of Cubans into the arms of uh, Castro and lied to them. We said uh, that we would support them with bombers. Uh, They'd be CIA bombers, right? So they'd be like, they'd have no insignia on them. Like, oh, really? Who else would be flying (laughs) B-52 bombers in this area of the woods, you fucking idiots? It's just a B-52 with the fucking fake glasses, fake nose. (laughs) <laughs> a b-52 wearing a fake mustache yeah we're from the jamaican air force <laughs> so by october this group is confident they could storm the capital of grozny topple dudayev who at this point was now ruling chechnya as a dictator through direct presidential rule through edict so like he just like he dissolved the parliament at one point his parliament said that maybe he shouldn't be in power so he got rid of them all <laughs> Which is totally how democracies work. (laughs) Russia thought that the Chechens would be unorganized and unable to put up a cohesive defense in the capital. And they may have been right, but they happened to uh, time it very, very badly, to say the least. Chechen and Russian forces crossed the border and immediately began getting hammered in a rolling ambush that took them all the way to the gates of the city and then into the center. And that is where they found it being defended by the battle-hardened Chechen warlord, and notorious dickhead terrorist, Shamil Basayev. Basayev had just brought his militia home to Chechnya after fighting the first Abkhazia war in the Republic of Georgia. He had also fought Armenia for Azerbaijan and fought in Afghanistan against the Soviets under the pay of the Pakistani ISI. <laughs> this guy just doesn't die? Well, he eventually does, but not during this war, but in the early 2000s. He, I believe he gets killed by a, a, an IED. He is doing the world tour of war in the early 90s it's, and late 80s. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, like if there is a war involving a former Soviet Republic at any point between like 1989 to 2002, he is fucking there. He's all about it. He's a fucking monster. Now, a lot of these are rumors, mind you. Like he was rumored to drink the blood of dead Georgians during the Abkhazia war. And he invented a method of execution called the Chechen necktie, where he'd slice somebody's throat and pull the tongue through it, which is also known as a Colombian necktie. So he's derivative, but, you know, whatever. The thought's there. It's not original, I guess. No, no. He's, he's more of a remix guy. Gotcha. <laughs> Another one. I mean, when you just change up the name, I mean, I, it's still the same. I can't guarantee that Basayev knew anything about Colombia. Who fucking knows? The attackers were slaughtered in the fucking streets. The Chechens learned that the center of Grozny, it turns out, was very defendable from armored vehicles, and they learned how to do it. Keep this in the back of your mind for later episodes. Most of the vehicles, which were just slightly painted over Russian tanks, were captured or burned as the attackers began to surrender. Now, unfortunately for everyone not a Russian soldier, this meant a very quick execution out back. If they found someone to be Chechen and fighting against Udayev, Vasayev's dudes just took you out back and shot you. But the soldiers were a PR coup. This is because the Russian government decided that they were going to do the, we have no idea what you're talking about. We had nothing to do with this game. Mm. So the Chechens just marched the soldiers down the fucking center street of Grozny. Like, look at all these Russians. Where did they come from? They don't speak Chechen. They don't even know where they are. They don't know what city they're in. 
And not to mention a lot of them like, yeah, we're from Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> they just gave it up right there. At this point, Russia was out of any other ideas other than outright military invasion of the Chechen Republic of Ichkera. Yeltsin ordered Dudayev to disband his army, lay down his weapons, and release all POWs in 48 hours, probably to make him look a little better for that whole last fuck up. Oh, so they are your guys. Or face an invasion. Dudayev refused. And that is where we will pick up next week. How are you feeling about Chechnya, Nick? I'm uh, feeling the it's going to get worse as we go. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I the first promise half was, you that the first half was pretty gnarly, but it's a we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think it's a personal record uh, for the most genocides referenced in a single episode. Oh yeah, I've noticed. I've definitely <laughs> noticed. People have asked if I'm ever going to do episodes about stuff like that. Maybe at a later date, uh, I'll focus more on the Circassian genocide and things like that. But like. I had no idea personally about a lot of this stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, this, a lot of this makes sense. I'd also fight the Russians. Like, it's not often that a single person is genocided, not once, but twice by the same government. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'd shoot you. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, it's, it, I feel like it's a natural response yeah. to like, get you the fuck out of my yard. You know, personally in the West, uh, we're not taught much of anything about this conflict. And if we are, oh, absolutely it's not. framed in the global war on terrorism mind of Chechens are Islamic terrorists. Learning that this was, in fact, a nationalist independent struggle rather than like a jihad, which would come up later, we will talk about. There's a shift that occurs. And it occurs because of the Russians, right? Right. You know, it's, it's always interesting learning to see where, where all this begins. Uh, and we did the same thing during Iran-Iraq war uh, series where, you know, the Iranian revolution started out as communists and, and reformists and they all got the wall mm. and their revolution was co-opted. And, you know, these guys don't exactly get the wall, but like, you know, the nationalist screed will die off um, and be replaced by something way worse as is our trend. Always worse. So Nick, thank you for joining us. Everybody. Thank you for listening in. As always, during the end of an episode or an episode of a series, we do not do a question from Legion, but uh, email, call, email, call us, uh, use a radio a signal. We do not. No, don't call me. If you have my number, please get rid of it. Uh, contact me if you want Joe's number. <laughs> I'll sell it. DMs, emails, um, load it into a cartoonishly large rail gun and fire it across the Pacific Ocean. Your questions to the show. Uh, and we will answer them at the end of normal episodes or at the end of the series. So again, stay tuned till next week. And until next time, don't do two genocides no. against someone. Would you be able to end this in hard base? <laughs> God, that's awful. <laughs>